Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, I'm Sarah Ellis. And this is the Squiggly Careers podcast. This week's episode is on how to be an ally at work. And as two white, privileged women, Helen and I thought it was important to invite two experts to join us for today's conversation. So shortly, you'll hear me interviewing two brilliant women, Leah Sater and Roshni Goyati, who are the two founders of an organisation named The Other Box. And their company exists to educate and empower people to work and live more inclusively. And I was so impressed by the depth of their knowledge, insights and experience throughout the conversation. I sort of really felt like it was a live learning experience for me. And it's an episode that has stayed with me, that I've continued to reflect on and has actually really prompted me to think about what action I can take personally and through Amazing If to be a more effective ally. And so I really hope this episode helps you to do the same and I hope you enjoy the conversation. So Leah, Roshni, thank you so much for joining us today on the Squiggly Careers podcast. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having us. You're welcome. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Even researching this topic has made me realise, A, just how much there is to learn, but also the positive action I think everyone and all of our listeners will be able to kind of take. And we're really going to start from the beginning because I think there's lots that we don't know and I think everyone will be coming at this from kind of a different starting point. So I want to make sure we're kind of all at an even keel before we really kind of start diving into allyship at work. Very basic first question and Roshni perhaps kick off with you. So what does it actually mean to be an ally at work? Because I feel like that's probably the first question that a lot of people be too scared to ask. I'm not even sure I would have a brilliant definition as a starting point. Yeah, there are loads of different definitions kind of floating around at the moment because it has become such a hot topic. But of course, allyship has always been necessary. Allyship ultimately is an ongoing practice. So there's no end point of really understanding how you as a person who has a position of privilege in society can work in solidarity and partnership with groups and individuals who are more marginalised. Really what it is, is your understanding that you don't deal with those same issues. You don't have to have the same struggles as the people that you are allying with, but you take on those struggles as your own so that together, Mm. collectively, you can really help to take down systems 
and create more equity and create more equality as well. Is there anything to add, Leah? And I think you pretty much summed it up there. But and I think what's really important that it is an ongoing practice. And you know, you have to constantly be learning, unlearning and reevaluating, and just understanding what your own privilege is as well, and understand the systems that we all exist within. And how can we all work together to bring down these systems to make sure that it's equal and people from different backgrounds to you are able to survive and then thrive in these systems and society and in the workplace as well. And Leah, who needs allyship? Because when I started to look at this, it's actually quite a long list of marginalised groups and people that kind of need our support. So just to kind of bring it to life for people, what might that look like? Gosh, you know what? I think it's, especially for the other box, the reason why we started was because we really wanted to bring intersectionality to the forefront. So when you're thinking about diversity and inclusion, you're not just thinking about the mainstream, which is usually white, cis, gendered, heteronormative. It's thinking outside of that. So thinking about black people, people of colour, it's thinking about disability and class and LGBTQ. I think it's about thinking about it holistically. This is where you can be practising allyship. And it's an ongoing practice. So you have to be doing it day in, day out, whenever you see an injustice anywhere. So it's not really like a, a one size fits all different groups need different things. And I think a lot of that is around the education that you have to make sure that you're really clued up as to what other people are experiencing. And then how can you use your privilege? How can you use your voice to make sure that you're being an effective and impactful ally in those situations as well? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And one of the things I'm interested to know, and actually, Roshni, I read a really good blog that you'd written on your website about this, was whether you can be an ally to a group that you are actually part of. So perhaps you want to share a couple of thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, that's a really, really great question. And the very short answer is yes, big yes, absolutely. <laughs> you can be an ally to a group you're part of. And essentially, this is because of... If we think about a framework like intersectionality, which Leah mentioned, and to just explain what intersectionality is, it's understanding that each of us is made up of different identity touch points, but the broader structures that we exist within are intersecting and interrelated. So if we think about gender, we think about race and then sexuality or sexual orientation and then class and then parenthood status, immigration status, language. We could go on with these different lists of kind of intersections, but it's understanding that they are interrelated. So if you are a woman, you can still be an ally to women who are not like you or different to you. So as a woman of colour who doesn't have a disability, who is in a heteronormative, in a heterosexual relationship, I can still be an ally to women who identify as LGBTQIA+, who live with disabilities, black women, indigenous women. So within that one group of women, there are so many other touch points that create a sense of difference that will enable me to be an ally. And similarly, as a South Asian Indian um, heritage person, I can still be an ally towards other Indian people who might come from a lower socioeconomic background, who might have a different immigration status, who, you know, might be kind of within the caste system of India, might be dealing with other inequalities. So as you can see, it's very, very multi-layered, no matter what your identity. We all live within structures that mean that we can, even as people who are marginalised, can still be allies to those within our groups. Leo, I'm interested to know, I think emotionally at a personal level, when we sort of think about 
why this matters. It feels like it matters because we are human. We should look after each other and care for people who are less privileged than ourselves. And it feels right, which is kind of more my emotional response. But I'm really interested with the work that you've done, particularly, I think, in kind of organisations and at work, when you see really active allyship, what difference does it make, I guess, for everyone and for that organisation? I think um, for that, it's more about the conversation around inclusion. So you want to create spaces where your employees feel like they belong. And when it comes to allyship, it's about creating that safe space where people can thrive in the, in the workplace. They can come to work and feel like they're not going to experience any sort of microaggressions or they're not going to experience any sort of injustice at work. And they're truly being heard and being seen as well. And I think that's one of the most important things as to why allyship is so important in the workplace and why it's so closely linked to trying to create inclusive workplace cultures that retains talent and just provides these safe spaces for people to exist within as well. There was a Deloitte report, which is a couple of years old now, but I suspect the statistics are not that different, which is that 61% of employees are covering something in some way. I was reflecting on that for myself and I was thinking how any covering that I did, particularly I think in the early days of my career, just how energy sapping that is when you don't feel like you can bring your identity and kind of and who you are to work where you're kind of having to pretend to be something you're not I don't I'm sure you've seen it I don't know what you think of it I'll be interested to know Netflix have done an interesting video on allyship which I actually thought as a basic kind of introduction to the impact it can have when you are having to cover up your identity in some way and then kind of what you can do. It doesn't give you a list of actions, but it's more of a kind of a good starting point, I think, to understand what kind of allyship looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And even just like, so as well as doing the training that we do at the other box, we also have a community made up of over three and a half thousand people around the UK and growing globally that we support and connect opportunities as well. And a few years ago, we just did a quick poll in terms of gender identity. And over 22% of our members identified as gender non-conforming, non-binary, but hadn't mm-hmm. come out in their workplaces. So the result of that, I can't even imagine the impact that would have on people's confidence, their overall mental well-being. And so when it comes to having to hide parts of yourself because you're worried about what your workmates will think and it's just not conducive to inclusion. And I think that's something that we really want to educate our clients on as to making sure that they're really considering all these different groups and identities and creating these safe spaces for them as well. So Roshni, let's move on to a little bit about kind of what gets in the way. I can imagine that part of the challenge is this can feel quite overwhelming or you perhaps think even listening to you both today I was thinking oh there's so much more that I personally need to do and need to commit to and straight away I was trying to figure out okay so where do I start perhaps I've been a good ally to women who are different to myself but there's so much space and rooms for me to support other groups that I'm kind of not part of where I can't think of many examples of kind of using my privilege to kind of take positive action yet and almost I was like wow this could be a really long list of things that I need to kind of start thinking about is that a common reaction yeah oh absolutely it can feel overwhelming but I so I've got a kind of three-part answer to this question just that first thing about when it can feel overwhelming it's kind of it's about a mindset shift from even though it's overwhelming for me imagine how hard it is to live day to day within a structure that is constantly oppressing constantly marginalizing you for just being you 
And so that's the kind of mindset shift we encourage people to think about from that perspective. Mm. But I think one of the broader barriers that's almost hard to see is that we, each and every one of us, if we're alive right now in 2020, we live within an existing structure that is centuries old of white supremacist, cis, hetero, ableist, patriarchy. But it is a system that we all exist in. It's so deeply embedded into each and every part of our lives, the kind of institutions that the justice system, communication, advertising, everything is infused with this deep structure. So it's almost hard to see it when it's around us. And it's so deeply internalised as well. So even as women and even as women of colour, we it's really, really hard to see how we each benefit from that system, which we all do to an extent. And that leads me on to the second part of the response, which is around privilege. So again, I think privilege garners this very negative reaction there's this suggestion with privilege that we it kind of deletes our individual struggles and our individual kind of emotional mm-hmm. hardships that any of us have had to deal with. But again, rather than see privilege as trying to blame you for what you have already, what you enjoy, or trying to erase anything of your own personal lived experience, understanding your own privilege is an opportunity to see how other people don't have that privilege and therefore are oppressed and how you can use your privilege to uplift those around you. And I think the third part of the response is really around our emotional responses. So we talk about this quite a lot with emotional intelligence and, again, that personal work that needs to be done, which is around emotions such as shame. So, you know, there's a sense of shame because, you know, I would imagine anyone listening to this podcast, none of us would say I'm a racist or I'm sexist or I'm homophobic. However, because we exist within that structure that I said earlier... It means that our default is actually around racist tendencies or homophobic tendencies because the normative and the norm is drilled into us so early on. And so when our our own internal biases and our own internal prejudice are exposed to us, we feel a sense of shame or we feel this sense of, oh God, I'm not that bad person, but I'm having this shown to me, I'm being exposed. And that makes us turn away from the work of allyship because we haven't built up that shame resilience. And so... We need to understand that it is that ongoing practice, that ongoing work, and there will be barriers that we face every day with allyship, but it's about building up the resilience towards those barriers rather than turning away and kind of seeking comfort. It's turning towards the discomfort of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just actually following on from that, we explore this a little bit further in our training, but also the emotion of perfectionism and how so many people right now are trying to be the perfect ally and there's no such thing as a perfect ally like you're not going to get a certificate you're not going to get a t-shirt that says I'm the best ally out there it's a constant work in progress where you have to have humility and you have to be open to listening and learning and not getting it right all the time like you have to be open to getting it wrong and proceeding from there and I think that's one of the also the really important thing that we want to get across that it's a constant work in progress and to be patient and to be kind to yourself and to be kind to others as well. Yeah. And I think that was kind of one of the thoughts I had was I I suspect the kind of fear of getting it wrong or kind of making mistakes can sometimes drive inaction versus the kind of the action that we definitely need. And we'll move on to um, actions in, in a second, but I did just want to ask, you know, we're recording this at the end of June and we we should kind of acknowledge with George Floyd's death over the past month or so, do you think that that has meant that people have realised that perhaps we're not as far forward as we thought we were, that perhaps, you know, our ability to 
be an ally to the groups that need that from us is not where it kind of should be or could be. I'm just interested to know kind of what you think kind of that has done over the past month or so, because I think it would be, yeah, it feels like it's something that we can't not include as part of our conversation today. Do you know what's really interesting is that I, last night I watched the Ava DuVernay documentary 13th on Netflix. It really explores further there about how this is nothing new. What happened to George Floyd and Ahmad Arbery, it's nothing new and it's just been documented in a different way. These systems aren't just the things that happen in America, it's happening around the world, it's happening in the UK. And what I really want to encourage people is to examine how we're all part of this system and learn, relearn and act. And that's kind of like the allyship model that we talk about at the other box. So examine, unlearn, relearn and act. And so we all have a part to play in this white supremacist system, which is constantly marginalizing black people and putting their lives at risk. Companies are kind of waking up to it right now. And what we really want to get companies away from is this performative allyship of posting the Black Square on Instagram, putting out these solidarity tweets and posts on social media. But actually, the way that they treat their Black employees, the way that they treat their marginalised employees is horrific. So really look and examine how what are you doing internally for allyship before you then go straight to social media to show what a great ally you are. And that's something that we really want to make sure that companies are understanding that it's deep work that we have to start with internally before we then start preaching outside as well. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So let's really get into actions now. So if people are listening to this today and thinking, okay, so where can I start regardless of what role or organisation I'm in or kind of the sort of work that I do? What are the kind of actions that you've seen that have kind of worked really well for people, particularly kind of in a work context to start being a really kind of effective ally at work? Mm. So we actually have training very specific to how to be an effective and impactful ally in the workplace. But we also have training around how to do this on an individual level as well. And it really begins back with that model that I explained before, which is examine and learn, relearn and act. 
So the first one of examine, just really look at the ways that we uphold this white cis hetero ableist patriarchy by understanding that we all have privilege. What is your privilege? So first of all, identify that. And then once you've done that, then look at your biases as well. Just start to really have that sit with you. It's really uncomfortable work, but it's necessary for you to then understand how to be an effective ally. You have to understand what your starting point is before you can then continue to then move on into the more action-led steps, if that makes sense. I think another uh, bit of advice we give all the time is to really learn to actively listen to those who are most marginalised. If they are speaking about microaggressions, if they are speaking about biases, if they're speaking about discrimination, create the space for them to really be heard rather than silencing them or trying to make excuses or trying to palm it off as something that's insignificant, create the space to really hear them. Mm. Just actually following on from what Rashi just said, over the last few weeks since the murder of George Floyd, we've been inundated with messages from the other box community. I'd say it's well over at like 200 at this point of people, specifically black people and women of colour who have been lent upon heavily by their organisations to work to help with diversity and inclusion. And it's completely unacceptable to expect people from marginalised backgrounds to do all of that emotional labour. There needs to be budget, there needs to be support, there needs to be a space where it's not up to people from these backgrounds to educate you on their experiences. You need to actively be doing the research yourself and not relying on their emotional labour for them to be then sharing their experiences because that's actually quite traumatic as well to constantly be sharing their experiences of discrimination and racism, like the mental impact that has on someone, it compounds over time and it's not a situation that we want to make sure that our community aren't put in. So I think that's one of the most important facts as well, like stop leaning on marginalised people to fix your problem. When you're part of the problem, you need to really identify the part that you play in that and then that should be your starting point. Yeah, I think there's a, just listening to you, I kind of, there's a big difference, isn't there, between listening versus leaning on people and actually your experience there is something that I've seen reflected in a couple of people that I know who are off work at the moment because actually they just found they needed a break because these are kind of people of colour some black women I know who just found that the last few weeks has been so overwhelming and consuming for them and in a way that kind of wasn't expected and it's not their job so their job is they're not diversity and inclusion managers they've all got day jobs to do as well and then almost you know you imagine you're already in a marginalized group and then suddenly you're carrying the weight of that group on your shoulders it just feels like too much to ask doesn't it for people actually one of the members said just because I have a lived experience doesn't mean that I know everything there is to know about diversity and inclusion and I think that's really important to to drill home that it's not their their place to do it and just to kind of follow on from what you said Sarah it's if it's not in their job description and you're expecting them to do that outside of their job role, then they should be financially compensated for that. And that's another point that we're really trying to wake our clients wake up to is that if you're expecting them to do diversity and inclusion work, then they need to be paid to do that. It shouldn't be part of their existing pay structure. Yeah, that's a really interesting point and one that I don't think I've actually seen talked about very much, certainly not kind of very transparently, because often those kinds of groups or activities in organizations are very voluntary based they're very kind of you you opt in because you are interested and that's a really interesting debate to consider is how those kind of structures are set up in organizations and especially if there is an increasing expectation to get involved then actually as you said that becomes if that's part of your job then 
that needs to be recognised and rewarded. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the way that we work with companies with their employee resource groups is that we then provide coaching and support. We provide training for these groups as well to make sure that they're fully equipped to kind of deal with the conversations that happen in these spaces and how they can affect real change within their organisation as well. So again, these groups, they need budget and they need support. They need support from senior leadership. You can't just expect people to be part of these voluntary networks and you're not supporting them holistically from it. They need to know that their leadership, their managers support them, are listening to them and also trying to create the positive change rather than just depending on them to fix a problem, which we're all a part of. And I'm really interested to know, you're both real experts in this area, work with lots of different organisations, you know, individuals and communities. Over the past kind of couple of years, are there any examples or kind of stories that you could share that just really stand out for you in terms of progress has been made, where you've kind of seen visible progress that perhaps people could learn from and kind of feel inspired by? One of the examples we bring up quite often is of Slack. So everyone these days is using Slack, especially now as we're working more remotely. (laughs) So it's almost like a household name. But Slack have done really well to embed it from the beginning. So not only did they embed kind of inclusion as a company culture from the beginning, they were really good at collecting the data and understanding where they were failing and being transparent about those failures to then learn to iterate and reevaluate and do that examining, unlearning, relearning and acting. So it's understanding that it's an ongoing thing. You can't just have a, a kind of check boxes and expect to do them and then think, OK, that's our allyship is done. Our inclusion is done. It's understanding that it's an ongoing and iterative process and there will be failures there will be mistakes. You might get very publicly called out as well, but it's more again about that resilience, how you learn from those mistakes and those call outs and what actions you take after that. And I think from an inclusive leadership point of view as well, it's really understanding how even if your emotional reaction is to feel defensive or to feel attacked even when you're pulled up for mistakes, to really lean into that and ask yourself, why am I being defensive rather than seeing this as an opportunity to change our policies, procedures, communicate differently, be coached in a different way to really create that inclusivity in my company. I think also as well, another company that's doing it really well is our client Monzo. They are completely transparent about where they're at in terms of sharing their data. And I think it's really admirable how radically transparent they are. They don't claim to have all of the answers, but they show that they're learning, they're trying to do better. Here are the improvements here where they're not doing too great and they're going to focus on how they can make it better. And I really think that sort of radical transparency is is really inspiring. And then the third one, which I always share, is Ben and Jerry's. Like, they do it so well. They do activism so, so well. I mean, I'm not sure about what it's like internally, but externally, what they're doing through social media and the stories and the messaging that they share is very sort of anti-oppression. And I think that's really, really interesting that the way that they take this really strong stand on it as well. Yeah, and I think what's really refreshing about all of those examples and like you say, some of them, you you know, you've obviously got under the surface and you've kind of experienced those organisations, but some we're kind of seeing from a distance is just that recognition of being transparent, that you're listening and learning, that you're being active, but that you don't feel like you have to present this perfect persona to the public in terms of saying, well, we're only going to talk about this when we've got green on every single one of these 10 actions. The kind of the message, I think, from kind of listening to you both today and the one that I really want people to make sure that 
everybody commits to is this idea of kind of sustained activism, sustained commitment. This is not a kind of something you focus on for a month and then it disappears again. This is something that actually you continually listen, you learn, you get better. Like you say, you do your unlearning, your relearning, and you take that personal and kind of collective accountability to make progress. And so that for every bit of progress we make, we can then progress kind of even further, I guess, and even faster. Yeah. I think also what we've noticed is that we've seen a lot of um, the black activists that we follow who are sharing about how the the Black Lives Matter hashtag is beginning to um, quiet and down, but we need to keep that conversation going. And I think even just looking at who you're following on social media, what you're watching, where you get your news from, really start to diversify that and look for different sources, look to these black activists and listen to what they're saying and what they're suggesting and just be in that constant state of learning and improving and how to be more effective with your allyship as well. You have to put in that effort to look beyond what is presented to us by the mainstream. It does take the effort to do that audit, first of all, but then set yourself the task. Promise yourself for the rest of July, anytime I go to pick up a new book, I'm going to make the active decision to choose a black female writer, a black queer writer. Anytime I choose to listen to a podcast, I'm going to actively seek out and kind of make that list at the start of the month so you don't have to do that work every time. And it will it will really round your view of the world as well. Mm. We're always sharing resources on the Other Box Instagram um, and on our Twitter too. And actually, if, if people are interested, we do have allyship uh, training as well people can access. So we'll share a link after as well. So if you want to continue that, start that journey, brush up, like you're more than welcome to take part in that training. Yeah, and we'll include all of the links to everything that we've kind of talked about today, loads of resources. We follow the other box on Instagram and I would definitely uh, recommend doing the same. It is not hard now to find lists of people to follow, places to go, things to watch. Those things are so available that it only, to be honest, takes a little bit of digging, I think, to get started. And then for I'm finding for every one thing I discover... I get recommended five more and then you kind of keep going with that learning journey. So before we finish for today, we always ask all of our guests for Squiggly Careers podcasts to share their best pieces of career advice. So this could be advice that you've been given that's really stuck with you or just your own kind of words of wisdom or something that, you know, someone's told you that that has helped kind of guide your business or kind of who you are today. I don't know, you can choose which one of you would like to go first because I've sprung this on you without warning you <laughs> that you're going to have to do this. <laughs> yeah, so one of my, um, one of the quotes that I kind of, I have as a post-it note in front of me is that it takes a hundred pennies to make a pound. I heard it from Kevin Morosky on Kalechi's podcast, Say Your Mind podcast, which is a really amazing podcast. I highly recommend it. And I think just the concept of it takes 100 pennies to make a pound. When you don't feel like you are where you want to be, just keep going because eventually you'll get there. And for me, it's been a really great piece of motivation for me to just keep going, even when it gets really tough and really hard, and especially with the work that we do around anti-racism and anti-oppression. There've been some really dark days. So for me, it's just a nice gentle reminder to keep going and it's worth it. And yeah. Something recently that came up internally at the other box that has really, really stuck with me as a female founder is that it's very easy. And I think I kind of talked about this through this conversation as well. It's very easy to turn away from the scary thing, but ask yourself how you can walk towards the scary thing, but in a more inclusive way. So it's not about judgment, it's not about your ego, it's not about the fear, but it's about building the resilience to walk towards the thing that scares you, but also taking people along with you on that journey in an inclusive way. 
Hello again, it's Sarah here. I just wanted to say that I hope you enjoyed today's episode and found it as insightful and practically useful as I did. And as a quick reminder for everyone, I just wanted to mention our Pod Plus sessions. So this is where every week on a Thursday at nine o'clock, we do a 30 minute live learning workshop on Zoom, which anyone can join for free. It's where Helen and I use it as a bit of an opportunity to perhaps share things that don't work so well on a podcast. So things like we draw tools and models and frameworks, all relevant to the kind of topic that we've covered that week. So for example, this week, we'll be talking about being an ally at work and actually have Leah joining us to actually do a live Q&A, which will be brilliant. So you can start any week, you can participate as much or as little as you like. So if you're curious, please do just come along. You can always just come along and see what you think for one week only. um, And we won't hold you against you uh, if you decide not to come back. And as always, the resources for today's episode, and there really are some brilliant ones on allyship, can be found on our website, which is www.amazingif.com. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll really look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.